Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mariwa Gavaza, and for today, uh, we are getting into a topic that has likely been on the radar of many people over the last uh, couple of weeks, and that is the election um, uh, over in Zimbabwe. Uh, they went to the polls, um, you know, recently, it must have been on the 23rd um, of August, and, um, you know, much contested election um, as we have also seen in previous years as well uh, but this time around it has been quite unique um, you know not the result of the election but the response from some of the external actors particularly uh, the SADC observer mission um, which has noted irregularities in the in that election and i say it's unusual simply because usually the stance has uh, been support um you know for the rulings on pf uh, you know government and not much being said um you know when some of the accusations of vote rigging voter suppression and the like have come out from uh, the opposition you know over the last uh, couple of elections so a very different landscape you know within which we are operating and the discussion we're having today is what is South Africa's place, you know, in that particular discussion, given um, just how much uh, other countries tend to take the lead from South Africa when it comes to SADC, uh, SADC matters and responses from President Suramaphosa and his government. So to help us to understand, you know, where things are, some of the risks, potential pitfalls, uh, we are joined by uh, Lo Nell, who is a senior political analyst over at Oxford Economics Africa. And and we are just going to be having that discussion. Hello, greetings to you today. Good morning. Maybe a good place for us to start is, uh, you know, just your reaction, you know, to the election. I'm pretty sure that is something uh, you and I were speaking before uh, we started the session. And I understand that you've been, you know, quite, uh, uh, that you've kept yourself quite abreast, um, you know, with what's been going on. So I guess, you know, just your initial thoughts before we, we dig into into the situation. Well, I, I guess by way of um, initial thoughts is that the election has pretty much gone exactly the way that we expected it would go. Um, we had spoken prior to the election, wondering out loud whether or not ZANU-PF would ever really allow the opposition to to win an election. Um, and even wondering if if by some miracle, um, the, the Triple C, the main opposition party, were to win the election, whether or not the regime would even allow them to to take over. Um, in the end, we, we anticipated that the that the obstacles placed before the triple C would be so um, so enormous that they would fall short. And in many ways, the results in 2023 mirrored the results of the previous election when Nelson Chumisa also lost to Emerson Menangagwa, um, largely by the same margin. Um, so Menangagwa this time around um, increased his support by about a percentage point. Um, and, and Mr. Chumisa dropped his, his support by, by a competent percentage point. Um, ZANU-PF again scored a, a pretty big victory, um, so it has a, a very a big chunk in, 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 the, in the National Assembly. Um, 136 um, constituencies out of the 210 that voted, um, as opposed to the, the Triple C 73. Again, similar to the last election, the Triple C support was mainly in Harare, was in Bulawayo, was in Belaland. North, and if you look at the map that was released by the, the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, the ZEC, 
after the last election, it looks very similar to the one we saw last time around. Um, some constituencies went to the triple C in, in Manika land, in Shona land, but largely it was a repeat of last time around. And, and the obstacles were obvious. And I think that the SADC report um, is a rather extraordinary one in and in it delves into the shortcomings of the election in, in great detail and great clarity um, and says out loud which what previous static missions were were not really willing to say out loud. Um, I think the difference perhaps this time around is in choosing um, Nebert Mumba, the, the former vice president of Zambia, to head this mission, um, Sadek settled on someone with a spine and someone who was willing to, to, to state the obvious. Um, and so there was already signs even before the election that the Zimbabwean, um, or that the regime was unhappy with, um, with, with Mr. With Mr. Mumba, um, and subsequent to that, they've um, subsequent to his his initial report, there've been um, big attacks on him, personal attacks, playing the man, not the ball. Um, we even see today um, Mr. Mnangagwa is being inaugurated, um, and yesterday the regime, or over the weekend, the regime extended an invitation to um, Zambia President Tshilema's um, main political rival, um, Edgar Lungu, to have him attend the inauguration. Um, instead of Mr. Hishalema, um, as a further reinforcement of the fact that um, they're framing this as a, as as more like a personal vendetta by Mr. Mumbai and by the by the maybe even the Hishalema administration itself, um, instead of really tackling what the SADC report itself details. Before we get into that SADC report, uh, low, you know, lots to unpack uh, from everything that you said and. Um, Especially when you look at the results and uh, the, the the heat map that's produced, um, you know, after the results come out, do you not think that uh, what makes this one unique, you know, barring the report from SADC, is the fact that uh, this time around um, the the sitting government doesn't have a two thirds majority the way that they did in the in the last election, which means pushing through, um, you know, certain agendas, certain laws, you know, is not uh, will not be as straightforward as you know what it would have been, which would put, um, I guess, the regime as a whole at at a, at a perceived, um, you know, disadvantage as compared to the last time around. Um, well, I think we saw last time um, also that the the regime. Um, doesn't doesn't have a problem finding um, finding willing members to go along with them. So we often refer to the captured opposition, and there was a long um, bun fight in Zimbabwe between um, MDCA and MDCT over the name MDC, um, which the the regime willfully participated in. And in the end, um, Douglas Monzora um, was was effectively given the name MDC and all the resources that went with it, along with the seats in parliament, and that forced um, Nelson Chamisa to effectively abandon the name and change it to the, the Coalition for Citizens, um, the Citizens Coalition for Change, the Triple C, and also to change the livery to to change all the insignia to the, the bright yellows and his face and all the insignia as a way to distinguish between the legitimate opposition and then the, the faux opposition. This time around, um, it really was just a two-horse race. So there, were, there was hardly a third party involved in an actual fact. And, and the MDC leader in the end didn't even participate in the presidential election. Um, so Zanu does, does have more than enough seats in parliament to drive the agenda forward. And the Triple C will, will use parliament as a, as a vehicle to try and um, 
block them and slow them down, but um, it, it won't it won't make a difference, really, as I know he's, he's still very much in charge, firmly in charge. Understanding, you know, those dynamics, like you said, um, even though there isn't a two-thirds majority, simply slows them down as opposed to, you know, blocking them, you know, per se. Um, there is still wiggle room. And as you said, uh, I like I like that phrase, the captured opposition. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic. The last time that I spoke to you was a couple of months ago, and uh, that was in, uh, it was in May. We are now in September, and uh, the last conversation we had was around uh, the the tensions that were bubbling or under between the U.S. and South Africa, and uh, you know how South Africa needed to navigate that particular situation. And during that conversation, I think one of the things that you mentioned at the time is the fact that um, the government, the present government has scored a couple of uh, political own goals, um, you know, during its time in office. The response of the government right now to the Zimbabwe election, is that potentially another, um, you know, area in which uh, the government could score an own goal or you know, come out on the right side of history, depending on how they play it, uh, simply because when you look at the rhetoric coming out uh, from the rulings on PF in, 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 Southern, in Zimbabwe, they have used um, some of the statements of support that have come out from, you know, the ANC and others, you know, as, uh, as ways to say, see, our, our election was legitimate and things like that. But more than anything else, if you have SADC, say, coming out with such a strong report uh, and you have South Africa as such a strong force in the region, um, it, it may not be in South Africa's best interests to be at odds with, uh, with, the, with, with the wider regional body. But maybe you can help us to just understand some of those dynamics, um, you know, just on the ground. Yeah, so I mean, South Africa's response to the election so far has been to um, congratulate um, Manangagwan is um, re-election, um, and today his inauguration is being attended by President Cyril Ramaphosa and Foreign Minister Naledi Pando. Um, it's about as senior as an attendee at the inauguration as 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 we've seen anyone send. Um, so other countries have sent um, less senior individuals. There are very few presidents and and prime ministers in attendance. Um, and so if if that's what you're looking at, um, it would certainly, from the outside, it certainly seems that South Africa is endorsing um, the result um, by, by sheer virtue of um, not really expressing any misgivings and sending such a senior delegation to attend the inauguration. Um, the the SADC report is, is something that will likely be discussed at, at, in that forum at, at a later date. Um, I see that the Triple C announced over the weekend that they are abandoning their um, Supreme Court challenge of the election results, saying they did not want to um, legitimize um, the Menangagwa's victory by taking it to the Supreme Court and having the Supreme Court predictably rule against them. Um, and so they're pivoting very much to try and bring diplomatic pressure to bear um, on the regime. Um, it would be very difficult to to have that diplomatic pressure brought on the regime without South Africa's support. And as things stand at the moment now, um, South Africa is 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 being very very soft touch on this election. Um, I, it makes me wonder out loud whether or not um, it doesn't also have something to do with the fact that we're going into a bumper election year next year, 
Um, we have elections coming up in Mozambique. We have elections in Botswana. We have elections in Namibia. Um, and of course, last year we had elections in Angola. That was also won by the MPLA, by the, the, the liberation movement there. Um, Swapu is not so comfortable in, in Namibia. Um, Free Limo and, and the BDP and Botswana are, are more, more comfortable there. And then, of course, the ANC, not so comfortable in South Africa next year. They're facing a very difficult election. And so perhaps there is a certain element of um, Pretoria not wanting to stir things up too much in anticipation of the fact that they may be faced with something similar next year, um, in the sense that they would want their elections to, and elections in those countries to be held for the results to be what they are without a body like, like SADC um, exerting pressure um, on those particular governments. Because as we've seen throughout the years, um, Pretoria is very reluctant to involve itself in the domestic affairs of its neighboring countries, of SADC members generally. Um, there really is only one example of them having done so in the last 20 years, which is Lesotho back in the 90s. Um, and we saw last year as well, and this year actually, um, with Eswatini's um, civil unrest, there's another opportunity for South Africa to show leadership for them to bring pressure to bear on a country where they have um, outsized influence and for them to again um, opt against bringing that pressure. And it kind of reinforces this perception that the government doesn't want to involve themselves in other people's domestic affairs because maybe fundamentally they don't want other countries and bodies like SADC to involve themselves in their affairs. Um, and I wonder if there isn't perhaps a... a um, a concern from Pretoria's side that if they were to take a firmer stance on Zimbabwe, if they were to take what would amount to an unprecedented stance um, on Zimbabwe, would not it's not something that is going to then impact future elections elsewhere in the region. Yeah, it's it's certainly been a thought uh, that's been explored in you know many corners yeah, just around that because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, uh, politicians. Uh, when they're in election mode, they're in election mode, and uh, right now that's uh, that seems to be you know the, the 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 sense at least in the region, and especially when you have a regional power like South Africa, you know it is a tough one uh, what you call this to navigate, and one would I guess this is one of those moments where one would call for courage, <laughs> right? Because um, the self-interest says, you know, let's do the soft touch, uh, you know, just so that we don't stir things too much for for ourselves. But the more long-term ramifications, because sadder countries are interconnected, and especially uh, South Africa and Zimbabwe, you know, quite, um, you know, interconnected between the two. And the decision to act or not act will certainly have consequences, um, you know, going forward. And depending on who you speak to, um, that's definitely an item that will still be on the agenda next year, you know, because the electorate might actually come back and say, hey, guys, you had an opportunity to deal with this issue that you guys have said is an issue because immigration has been um, quite a big thing that has been in public discourse over the last couple of uh, years. And depending on how things go next year, you know, some might say that, hey, you had an opportunity to deal um, with uh, a piece of this immigration, so-called immigration crisis that you guys have uh, highlighted. Why did you not do something about it? But, you know, we wait to see what happens from that point of view. Now that we're here, hopefully we can spend a little bit more time delving into the report. Um, you know, like you said, uh, uh, earlier on you said that uh, Nevers 
they 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 chose someone uh, you know ch- someone with uh, someone with the spine any on on your side when you're going through the report what's sticking out to you you know uh when it comes to uh what you call this when it comes to the report i think on my side uh, it would just be the fact that they've even taken the stance right uh and one wonders how they're thinking because i'm just framing it in my head against what you've just said about south africa now right um because south africa is in an election mode and they're thinking around these things from a soft touch point of view but regionally you know as a as a sadic body i'm just thinking where's their mind around this thing because like you said a number of countries are getting into elections you know do we really stir the pot or do we sort of let things go just so that we don't set a dangerous precedent for the coming um, upcoming elections? Or do you think the situation has become so untenable that at a sadic level, they've just realized, guys, we, we cannot ignore this thing. Something must happen now. Yeah. Um, I might say, just to take us uh, one, one step back, that in, in South Africa, electorally, um, foreign policy has never been a big mover um, of sentiment. Um, and and so this year there's been a great deal with with Russia and with BRICS and, and all of that anyway. So Zimbabwe has 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 been in the background rather than in the, in the foreground that we might have expected in a normal year. Um, but yeah, foreign policy isn't a big mover. Immigration, however, is. Um, and so the Zimbabwean issue is 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 always something that um, that politicians will will look to take advantage of. Um, in in many ways. Um, the last election, if you're looking for a direct impact of the last election, the last election is unlikely to result in any kind of significant movement of people. Um, I mean, my feeling is that um, most Zimbabweans who have, who have given up on, on, on the regime and on, on, on the hope of change, people who have had the, um, the ability and the wherewithal to leave the country have already done so. Um, and so I don't think we're going to see any new um, levels of immigration. People who have, who have been able to leave have, have left already. Um, and so... Um, the, the, the immediate impact of the election result, I don't think there's going to be anything all that significant. It really is just going to be a continuation of where we've been. Um, but then again, in South Africa, we, we still have the um, scorching outstanding issue of the Zimbabwean um, exemption permits. Um, and that's another thing we'll have to keep a close eye on. Um, that might be a hot topic closer to the election um, if the government feels that um, they're losing ground on the on, on the on the left and the right on the immigration issue. Um, but then coming back to the the report itself, the SADC report itself, um, it is it is a striking report, and and some of the language that's used, it's extremely clear in what the problems with the election were, um, and has diagnosed the problem very clearly and very succinctly, um, and speaks um, first and foremost speaks to some of the issues that um, that preceded the election, that kind of set the stage for a, an election that was almost unwinnable by the opposition, as I said earlier. Um, dealing specifically with the delimitation report, um, it uses the word gerrymandering in here, talking about how the constituencies were um, were redrafted, um, how the voters list was redrafted ahead of the election, um, and how the, the the country largely um, ignored what is a, a 20% rule. So constituencies um, cannot exceed that 20% margin in terms of the maximum amount of people or the minimum amount of people in a constituency. And the ZEC went about gerrymandering, um, I'm comfortable using that word, gerrymandering some of the constituencies, and specifically the constituencies where the opposition were strong. Um, so on the outskirts of Harare Abulawa, you saw some, some neighborhoods um, move from um, your, your metro 
into rural constituencies. And so some of those voters, those opposition voters, were moved into effectively ZANU um, constituencies. The voters' role itself was, was, was a big problem. It says here that the opposition complained um, justifiably that it was neither searchable nor analyzable format. So the voters' role was released very late, but there wasn't much you could do about it, really, because there was no way of checking the voters' role. Um, it speaks of freedom of assembly. We wrote about this in the, in the run-up to it, the, the Maintenance of Peace and Order Act that was being used to shut down Triple C um, events, including their, their election launch, um, which at some point actually saw the police issue a, a, a memo to provincial police chiefs and tell them to kind of pump the brakes and cool it down and allow some of these things to go ahead. Otherwise, the, the legitimacy of the, the election would be completely compromised. Um, there was also, we wrote about this as well, the Patriot Act, so-called Patriot Act, um, which was a, an amendment to the criminal law, which effectively created an offense of willfully injuring the sovereignty and the national interest of Zimbabwe, a law so vague and so broad that, quite frankly, any criticism of the regime would qualify um, as, as, a, as an offense. Um, and then it also spoke about the, the massive increase in fees for nominees. Um, presidential nominees went up from $1,000 to $20,000 US dollars to contest that election, which for most nominees is just completely out of reach. Um, even for a constituency level, it went up from 50 to 1,000 US dollars. So a lot of people were just excluded by virtue of not being able to come up with that kind of cash. Specifically, looking at um, the, the economic situation in, in Zimbabwe, it was impossible for people to, to compete. Um, intimidation of voters. Um, it notes it notes the the controversy around postal voting. There were reports that um, Zimbabwe Republic police officers who voted early um, by the postal system um, were effectively forced to vote ZANU, and they had their senior officers effectively stand over their shoulders and make sure that they voted um, the way that they wanted them to vote. Um, State-owned media um, dominating, um, and then on the day itself, the the big problems that happened on the day itself. And the main one, of course, was the, the non-delivery of ballot papers to um, certain constituencies. And again, the constituencies who were most um, affected by this non-delivery of ballot papers was Harare, which at 7 o'clock in the morning, only 23% of their polling stations had ballot papers. Bulawayo, um, again, opposition stronghold, um, which I think the number at the time was um, 85% and 75, uh, 75%. And then the same in Manika land, some of these constituencies that are sort of um, pretty 50-50. So pretty um, unsubtle ways of, of fudging the issue. The ZEC said that those, those ballot papers were delayed by the fact that um, they were court action. Um, but the reality was that some of those ballot papers were also then eventually delivered. And some of the opposition candidates were not on those ballot papers. And because it was so late in the day, um, there's nothing they could do about it. Um, and so the, the, the polling was extended for a second day, you might recall, in some of these constituencies, but really they were there were in 40 constituencies. Voting was extended. There are 12,374 wards. So only really in 1% of those wards was the voting extended. And so again, it was more of a, a show of, of, of the, the regime responding to these supposed logistical issues. But I think it's really hard to, to um, accept the fact that these were just purely logistical issues, that these were just um, problems on the day. Um, some of these polling stations opened 12 hours later than they were supposed to. And since it wasn't a public holiday in Zimbabwe, people who maybe took time off work to vote in the morning were not able to go back in the evening. And some of these polling stations stayed up until 2 o'clock in the morning 
to satisfy the legal requirement for how long they needed to stay open. But no one's voting two o'clock in the morning, um, specifically in a tense situation like this. And so this, this is this quite clearly um, and pretty um, blatant um, manipulation of the process. It mentions in here as well, which I think is important, the, the, the presence of an, an organization called the, um, the Forever Associates of Zimbabwe, FAS, um, in rural constituencies specifically. Now, this group, very shadowy group, was established by the Central Intelligence um, Organization and is funded by the CIO. Um, and they set up booths outside rural constituencies where they took down people's names, um, quite clearly to intimidate them because after you voted and after the election results are for those constituencies are published, it would be very clear then who voted for the opposition. And so I think a lot of people would have um, changed their vote or would not have voted altogether, having seen those FAS um, individuals um, stationed outside the polling stations. So it's also touched on in, in the SADC report. Um, and so in many ways, the SADC report is extremely um, thorough um, and touches on, on so many different issues and paints a real picture of an election that was um, manipulated in so many different ways and making it impossible for the for the, the opposition to win. Maybe, maybe as you are explaining, I understand what gerrymandering is from American politics. Maybe you could just help us to understand what gerrymandering is. Well, the gerrymandering in, in Zimbabwe um, was was <laughs> was quite something. The, the the delimitation report was delivered to the president after Christmas last year, and then got smashed through Parliament and then got um, tied up for a short while in court and was effectively been accepted. Um, it redrew the constituency borders in a lot of places and redrew them so that um, it could split up opposition constituencies so that um, a lot of those, um, some some communities, some districts would then fall into, into Zana districts. Um, and um, I think it did, it did the job that it set out to do, but it did it in a very ineffective way. There was, um, at the time, election observers pointed out that um, some of the um, some of the coordinates used in the report um, weren't even in Zimbabwe, so it was it was it was quite a mess. It was it was a real um, it was a poor effort, but in essence, I guess it worked because those 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 redrawing of the boundaries did um, did improve um, Zanu's um, performance in in many ways. Uh, that is the, the party's performance. The president's performance, and, and this is why I think it's important here, it says, since the country votes as a single constituency in the presidential election, the difference in the methods had no particular impact on the equality of the vote in that election. And if you look at how ZANU outperformed the triple C in the parliamentary election, but that the contest between Mr. Mnangagwa and Mr. Chamisa was fairly close, and Mr. Mnangagwa really only recorded a few percentage points above 50%, I think that's a more real reflection of way of the way the voting went, and so maybe if you take away all these other issues that are detailed in the report, um, then you can see just how close the contest actually was. Yeah, very interesting, you know, from that point of view. And uh, I guess we we you give uh, you 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 give commendation where it's due. Um, you know, the fact that SADC has been as thorough as they have been in terms of their analysis and actually coming out with the different, uh, what you call this, with the different ways um, in which um, some of this, uh, some of the tactics uh, that were being used, you know, very interesting. And I guess that's what 
people expect from election observers, right? That people will literally immerse themselves in what's actually going on so that they can understand all of these different dynamics that are, you know, that are at play. The fact that if you have members of FAS going out and, um, uh, going out and uh, I think I heard them being described as exit polls um, you know yeah that was one of the uh, one of the ways in which it had been described though um, you know one expects an exit poll to happen before no no an exit to ha- an exit poll to happen after someone has voted but in many instances we were hearing that you know people's names and details were being taken before um you know they voted so it's an interesting one and also that uh, that dynamic around the rural areas because depending on who you talk to um you know some have been saying that this time around um the way that the result comes out um created uh, maybe not happiness but rather a sense of relief because people in the rural areas would have been wary of any potential violence as has been seen in uh, in previous elections um so understanding all of those dynamics that are, that are at the heart of what it takes to win at the ballot in zim um you know uh, one needs to give credit but now that a report is out, uh, the natural question is, you know, so what? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's great that the regional body has gone and done this. And the fact that they've taken such a firm stance and given such an honest review of what's going on. But, you know, are there any platforms? You know, I think you mentioned just now uh, the fact that the opposition at the weekend, you know, has decided to to drop their contestation of the election results, um, you know, at the Supreme Court. But what then happens now, like on a regional level or on a national level, the report is out, but what's the recourse that people can take? Yeah, and that's that's unfortunately um, where we find ourselves now in that it's very much as a, as a moral victory. Um, and it's it's something for the, for the opposition to run with. Um, but it's not going to overturn the election. It's not going to achieve what they've asked for, and that is for the election to be rerun. Um, that simply isn't going to happen. Um, the regime has very carefully manufactured this outcome, um, and this is this is going to be the outcome. Um, pressure from from SADC is not going to um, change that. It's not going to relate to this election in in essence. Um, it might impact future elections, um, but then again. Um, SADC has produced many recommendations in the past, um, and often they just get ignored. Um, so there is little little to expect from all of this. It would be interesting to see the next meeting. Um, I think that one might find that um, someone perhaps like President Hishalema might find himself at odds with someone like Mr. Stramaposa um, in one of those in one of those forums. But again, SADC tends not to stir, tends not to not to fight over these things. So um, there isn't much to expect. And, and in many ways, the the Triple C deciding to not challenge this in, in court and to try and, and, and bring about some kind of outcome relying on diplomatic pressure um, feeds back into a narrative that ZANU-PF uses a lot in the sense that um, they paint the opposition as sore losers who then, when they do inevitably lose, um, then they run to foreign governments and they look at foreign governments to try and involve themselves in Zimbabwe's domestic affairs. Um, so this is another opportunity for them to, to bring out that weather-worn um, narrative. 
it's a narrative that doesn't necessarily wash in the cities, and that's why we see Bulawayo and Harare typically voting for the opposition this time, and the Triple C won all the constituencies, all the seats in Bulawayo. But in the rural areas where people have got significantly less access to information, specifically international news, um, internet connections are sometimes non-existent, um, the, the narrative still, still, still carries some weight. Um, and so I guess that the big question is what what next? Um, not an awful lot. I think there might be there might be um, the Triple C has spoken about protests um, that is inevitably going to be met with um, with strong security force response and some thuggery from from ZANU-PF as we've seen in the past. Um, Zimbabweans are very wary of violence. They have a long history of violence, and nobody wants to wants a repeat of that. And and um, we've already seen a lot of. Um, Triple C senior members, including members of parliament, find themselves um, in long pretrial detention. Some of them have been found guilty of public order offences, have been severely punished. Um, Job Sekala being an example of someone who was arrested um, more than a year ago now. He's still in pretrial detention. Those are examples of what happens to people who, who step out of line, I guess. And so um, any suggestion that there, there might be protests of this um, it would take a very brave person to to take to the streets to to protest these these results, and I don't think it will accomplish an awful lot. Um, SADC certainly won't ask for the election to be rerun, um, and so um, sadly, it feels that our preview of the election um, has come to come to pass, and Sano PF is locked in for another five years. It is interesting, you know, to note, uh, you know, using your. Um, your example of the well-worn narrative around running to uh, around the opposition um, and its relationship with uh, foreign governments and interference and you know uh, protecting sovereignty, um, the, the the stance that the ruling party took against SADC when the reports came out. It is interesting to note that the same types of um, observations that were made by SADC in this election that um, other observer missions, you know, to places like Namibian elections led by um, um, Zimbabwean officials such as the former Foreign Affairs Minister S.B. Moyo said exactly the same thing, right? Uh, you know, except that the roles were reversed. And, you know, it is interesting that an observer mission led by a high, such a high level official in the Zim government was able to make those pronouncements um, and observations in a place like Namibia. If my, if my facts, uh, you know, um, serve me well, but when the, the tables are turned, then, you know, it becomes uh, what you call this, then it becomes an attack. Um, you know, which uh, which is an interest, which is something very interesting uh, to note from that point of view. Now, Lo, before we let you go, I think the last thing on um, that we wanted to just maybe get your thoughts on is the fact that uh, there is there is some reporting. Um, you know, there because people had been saying, okay, cool, if we can't overturn the election, perhaps a government of national unity. Um, as we saw between, I think, 2008 and 2013, um, you know, is something that we can do. And I think we saw some reports over the weekend that the ZANU-PF is amenable to that idea and is also calling, you know, calling for it. The reason I'm bringing this up is because in a country like South Africa, 
you know, coalition politics has been quite a minefield, um, you know, over the last couple of years. And it does seem to be a theme, you know, now. And what I wanted to check with you is, is this a regional theme? And I say that simply because further north, we're seeing coups, we're seeing all types of political action. The The establishment of your liberation parties remaining in power seems to be threatened at the moment, right? Either with coups where it's outright, we just don't want you and we're just going to topple the entire establishment or as we're seeing in South Africa and, you know, are potentially going to see in Zimbabwe now, uh, the coalition aspect where it's no longer just the ruling or liberation party, um, you know, taking the country forward, but you have that coalition politics that's at play. Yeah, so the, the the situation in Zimbabwe is, is 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 very different to what we've seen in West Africa in the sense that the regime and the military are, are on the same page. Um, ultimately, it was the the military that um, that removed Robert Mugabe in in twenty seventeen and and installed what was then his deputy, Mnangagwa, um, and um, the, the the head of the military at that time became Vice President Chiwengu. Um and so. The, we saw this ahead of the Zimbabwe election as well. There were suggestions that one of the biggest risks for ZANU-PF was not so much um, the, the challenge from the opposition, which is something that they're used to and they know how to neutralize and they've dealt with on so many occasions. Um, but one of the big risks was the fact that divisions within ZANU-PF itself would, um, would cause problems for their campaign, um, specifically between president and his, and his deputy, although they, they were singing from the same hymn sheet towards the end there. And so suggestions that there was a split um, um, it didn't come to pass. But it was interesting before the election when, um, um, what was his name, Xavier um, Kasuere, um, who was um, previously a very senior member of ZANU-PF, um, but not in the Lacoste faction that, um, that was loyal to Menongagwa, um, but rather G40, which was the opposing um, faction and the one that was nominally loyal to, or nominally loyal, yeah, let's say that, to, to Grace Mugabe. He came back in and he wanted to run as, as presidential contender and was effectively excluded um, on, on dubious grounds. But it was an indication of the fact that ZANU-PF was very sensitive to the fact that um, they couldn't afford a split in their support. And considering that Nagawa um, um, won by, you know, fifty-two point six percent of the vote, um, there was definitely sensitivity that the the the, the party that could that could beat ZANU-PF in essence was ZANU-PF itself. That those divisions were the, were the, were were a bigger headache and a bigger concern for the party than maybe the opposition, which, like I said, they've come very used to and very capable of neutralizing. Um, so, um, in in that sense. It's, it's similar to South Africa in the sense that the factionalism within the ANC has proven to be a huge obstacle to the, to the ruling party remaining in power. Um, and there was something similar to that in, in, in Zimbabwe. Now that ZANU has, has, has won the election, they really have no reason to um, bring the triple C into government um, if for no other reason than to co-opt them. And I think that's probably the reason why the triple C would probably not agree to uh, a government of national unity. They'll obviously be junior partners in that coalition, and it would require them to to join hands with ZANU-PF. Um, that would be that would be a, a, 
a violation of their their election their election offer, um, and they would be very reluctant to do it. Um, I guess we'll have to see. Maybe there is a is is is, is some kind of carrot that can be dangled in front of Mr. Chamisa's face that he'd be interested in. But generally speaking, that would really just what it would amount to is co-opting the the opposition and neutralizing them, um, and turning the main opposition, the only real legitimate opposition, into as we said earlier, the captured opposition that we've seen with some of the smaller guys. Um, and this time around, they really are just the two parties. I think it would be very un, un, unlikely for the, the Triple C to agree to such an arrangement. It would be the end of them in many ways. Um, but again, the Zan doesn't need them to run the country as they've been doing. So that's where we end off today's discussion. Very, very fascinating. Just unpacking um, uh, some of the ramifications around the uh, recently held and, uh, you know, much contested um, Zimbabwean election. Um, we are recording this on Monday, the 4th of September, um, which means that uh, the inauguration of uh, President Emerson Nangagwa will be, you know, taking place today. And uh, against that backdrop, we're just looking at, uh, you know, what does this mean for the region? Uh, regional politics, what does it mean for liberation movements, uh, you know, in this region, but also um, on the continent, Lo just uh, giving us some insight um, in, into the fact that uh, we are getting into a bumper election year, that's the term that he used, you know, going to be seeing um, many countries in the region going to the polls, and uh, maybe some of the tones that have been taken with this specific one um, will be considerations, you know, when we get into there. South Africa still finds itself, you know, caught between a rock and a hard place um, in terms of their relationship, um, you know, with Zimbabwe. You know, do you sit and, you know, take a hard stance, um, you know, and hope, you know, that by solving the issues in that country, you can alleviate uh, some of the so-called pressure that is, you know, said to have been brought to bear on the South African economy? Or, you know, do you take the soft touch approach as, you know, uh, sort of continue? Continuing the precedents that we have seen uh, from the South African government historically, um, you know, over time. And then I think lastly, just also understanding coalition um, and what that means going forward. It is interesting, you know, just noting um because I hadn't really, I hadn't drawn that line yet. Uh, the fact that you do see factions, um, you know, in the two ruling parties in Zimbabwe and in uh, South Africa, you know, and what that's going to mean, um, you know, going forward. That's definitely one of the things that I'm waiting to see how it develops over time. What is that going to mean, um, you know, for the South African government? What does that mean for the Zimbabwean government? I guess most immediately, what is it going to mean for how, um, um, incoming, I, I can't even call him incoming, uh, continuing President uh, Emerson is going to fill the ranks um, of government this time around because you sort of have to balance that out between uh, the different factions, the, the different warring, you know, factions in the party. How do you distribute, uh, you know, the positions, um, you know, when it comes to ministerial posts and, you know, that type of thing. That's definitely going to be something, you know, to watch going forward. And I guess that's also been the game uh, that President Ramaphosa has already been playing, um, you know, in a, in a country like South Africa. And what's that going to mean uh, for the region going forward? So that's been it. Uh, we're chatting to Lonel, who is a senior political analyst over at Oxford Economics Africa. Lo, as always, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me.
And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from my Myself and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.